Well, how'd you like that chariot song? It actually doesn't have a whole lot of connection to the scripture, but there is a chariot in both the scripture that we just read and that coming forth to carry me home. This wonderful story from the, the book of Acts about the early church is a glimpse and helps me understand two phrases that we say a lot in the United Methodist Church and that sometimes make me stumble a little bit. They help me, the scripture passage helps me understand a little better what we mean by witnessing and also making disciples. So I want to say more about that. And I'm going to stick pretty close to this scripture because I just found so many little insights that I helped me. So uh, the mission of the United Methodist Church, we say it uh, often, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And um, uh, even though it's, it's not uh, for me to say, I, I sometimes wish we said it a little bit differently. I, I, the image of making seems mechanical and wooden to me, like, like you make a house, you build a house. If you just have the right materials and the right tools, you just put it together and lo, you got a disciple. And, and that doesn't seem to uh, fit very well with, with my experience uh, of the different ways that people grow in faith, come to faith, are invited to faith. And um, I think it's, it makes it seem uh, really intimidating and a little bit fake to me too. Um, so this though is a story about a little glimpse of a kind of disciple making. And um, in some ways, this story seems almost scripted out exactly like, you know, have you, you ever seen the people who have the little tracks that have the ABCs of salvation and you hand them and you ask them, the three, you know, and it seems really kind of simple and clear. But when I looked at it more closely, there was a lot more nuance to it. The story is also about witnessing. Um, some of you who have been Methodist for a long time probably remember when the membership vows said that Will you support the United Methodist Church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? Uh, but a few years ago, John thinks maybe 2004 General Conference, uh, even though the words haven't changed in our hymnals, they were changed by General Conference, and we add a fifth aspect to that. Do you support the church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your, your witness. And um, in fact, this passage is all about the witness being pushed out by the Spirit. Um, in the very beginning of Acts, when Christ has risen, been with the disciples some, and then ascended, <clears throat> They are told to wait in Jerusalem. The apostles were told to wait in Jerusalem and they would receive power uh, from the Holy Spirit that would enable them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And um, this story of reaching the Ethiopian eunuch 
in a way, is the beginning fulfillment of the ends of the earth because in, in that time frame, Ethiopia was like the ends of the earth, far beyond the reaches of the Roman Empire. So, I looked at this passage uh, with great curiosity, wanting some guidance about how to be a better witness and maybe even make disciples. And the first thing that I just noticed, and I, perhaps you did too, is that there is this incredible, incredible uh, cooperative dynamism of the Holy Spirit prompting Philip to do something. The Holy Spirit must have been at work in, in the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and they're responding, but they are part of you know, the response. And it keeps moving forward, actually physically moving. The Spirit sends Philip to a totally different place and then tells him to interact with a different person. So let me say just a, um, a word about the characters we have in the story, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. <clears throat> Philip is, uh, first appears in Acts 6. He's, he's a person who was selected to be one of the administrators of the table service for the community. The community in Jerusalem had uh, experienced some challenges, some uh, difficulties in how to fairly distribute the food that they were sharing together between the Greek-speaking widows and the uh, Aramaic-speaking widows. Uh, it didn't seem like it was all happening impartially without favoritism. The apostles, the, the people who were in Jesus' inner circle and who were witnesses to all of the events, critical events of his teaching, death, resurrection, and life, the apostles decided that they should probably save their time for prayer and uh, proclaiming the word, uh, spreading the gospel. And um, so they decided to elect people who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to be administers of a just distribution of the table uh, service in the community. And like Stephen, the first Christian martyr, Philip was one of those people selected. So Philip wasn't particularly empowered or selected for a ministry of proclaiming the word, but after Stephen was stoned to death, uh, persecution really hit hard in Jerusalem on the earliest Christians. And as a result of that persecution, the believers, uh, except for the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem, all got out of town. They got out of Jerusalem and they scattered around the countryside to smaller areas. And we learned that Philip decides to go to Samaria as he's scattering out in the countryside. And he ends up in some cities in Samaria. And while he's there, he starts talking about the kingdom of God and the Messiah. And lo and behold, people are listening to him. They listen to him eagerly. They believe. He actually uh, does signs and wonders along with that. He helps people experience healing in various ways. He's having an incredible ministry there. And so much so that the apostles in Jerusalem hear about it, and they send some people 
to Samaria, which is, they say, down to Samaria, but Samaria is actually north of, uh, of Jerusalem. So they went north and laid hands on those believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Philip then, later, after our story, goes to Caesarea, uh, it tells us, and we don't hear about him again until uh, near the end of Acts, or later in Acts, in chapter 21, and really all we hear about him is that he's the father of four daughters who, who, who uh, prophesy. And um, so we don't hear any more about his active ministry and what he's up to. So this is a little slice of Philip's life, and he plays a huge role in this drama of breaking down barriers between groups of people and spreading the gospel farther. Now, what about the Ethiopian eunuch? We don't know his name. We're not told his name. Uh, we do know that he was a person of uh, great responsibility and probably good resources. Um, but, uh, and, and he was someone who had been to Jerusalem to worship, and therefore he was somebody who was earnestly seeking God, the God of, of, the, of the Israelites, and, and God revealed in Scripture. So he was someone who was really trying to connect with God. But as a eunuch, as someone who was probably deliberately uh, castrated so that he could be seen as a safer person to have responsibility in um, a position where he had access to the royal household. He, in the midst of his spiritual journey, reading those scriptures, he would have come upon scriptures in the Old Testament and Leviticus and in Deuteronomy both that said that eunuchs could not achieve full stature, full inclusion into the people of Israel because they were eunuchs. So his spiritual journey was taking him deeper into who God was. And obviously that was important to him. He made a pilgrimage, but it was also, I'm guessing, somewhat frustrating him and making him feel shut down and perhaps unjustly treated. So that's where they are, and they don't know each other, and then this encounter. So now I'm gonna walk through it. The very first thing that jumped out at me thinking about this story is that, uh, is, I've already alluded to it, is that the title and the commissioning are not an important part of what Philip does. Philip is not specifically given the role and identified for the role of being the one who carries the community's message to proclaim. But Philip doesn't let that stop him. Philip takes opportunity to talk about what's given his life meaning and purpose and the knowledge he has of Christ simply because he's in places where he has opportunity. So, it doesn't matter if you're a minister, it doesn't matter if you're ordained, 
doesn't matter if you've taken all of the disciple Bible study classes. It's not a bad idea, but it doesn't matter. You could be someone who witnesses. It's an opportunity for all of us. Second thing, uh, Philip had to risk failure and a loss of success in order to be faithful to the Spirit for this witness. Remember, Philip has gone to Samaria as he's scattered out of Jerusalem, and he has had great success with the message there. It said of Philip something that, oh, oh, I covet, so nice. It said, they eagerly listened to his words. And they believed them. And it made a difference in their lives. And he was asked to leave that place where his, his ministry was bearing such fruit to go down a wilderness road, to head back past Jerusalem and go all the way down to Gaza, another 50 miles past Jerusalem, for he knew not what purpose. And it made me realize uh, something we, we heard in a, a workshop recently. The church needs to be willing to think more about our ministries outside of the doors of the building in the places where we are all the time rather than what only happens here inside where we know we're preaching to the choir and where we know that people have come to hear this specifically, we might be encouraged to be a little more risk-taking. Third thing. So Philip is obedient to the Spirit, and he goes in this wilderness road, and there he sees this man. And he's told to go up and connect with that person. And so the first thing that really I get is, it's, you know, I would think of preparing for messages like figuring out what you're going to say. Instead, he's instructed to go connect to the person. And what does he do? He listens when he's there. He listens and overhears the man doing what people often did, reading scripture or reading anything. They would read out loud. He listened to what the gentleman was saying. Now, I uh, can't picture this very well. I, I've only ever seen a chariot in Ben-Hur. And, um, and I think this chariot, I've got it mixed in my head with the buggy, the Surrey with the fringe on top in Oklahoma. <laughs> Somehow. And, um, and I can't quite picture this, this chariot. It, is it moving? Has he stopped to read? I mean, somebody else is obviously driving it. But is... Philip trotting along beside overhearing. I, I don't have a picture of how that works in my head, but I do know that after these extraordinary specific instructions to go to this place and go to that person, he goes and he listens. And it made me think, and you're probably already thinking this too, I need to shut up more and listen more. And it, it suggests that he was respecting the thoughts and desires of the person he was being sent 
to reach out to. And I think we can trust that people, all people, have some kind of connection to the Spirit of God. So we don't have to take everything with us. People are already being touched by God and in communication with God. And if we want to help their journey along, we, we first need to listen to what people's questions are. And the Ethiopian eunuch has some very good questions. And, in fact, in true listening mode, Philip starts with a question to him. Do you understand what you're learning, what you're reading? And I imagine that if the Ethiopian eunuch had said yes, the conversation would have gone completely differently. Or if he'd said, well, I wonder about this particular thing, they would have had a conversation completely different. But instead, he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And that's the next thing I take from it. Witnessing is more like conversation, and Philip, at every stage, although he's been told by the Spirit to go there and to connect with that person, at every stage he waits for that person to invite him to go further. Can you help me figure this out? Come on into the chariot. Ride with me a while. And he started at the point at which that person was interested. It's really uh, interesting to me. This uh, passage that the gentleman was reading was from Isaiah. And it's from the, the chapter that is often referred to as the suffering servant, description of a prophetic interpretation of the suffering servant, the one who bore the iniquities and sins of others, was completely righteous and yet was punished and bore the pain of others' transgression. And then this passage that the Ethiopian eunuch was particularly reading focuses on the injustice of that. It's a painful, difficult concept, a difficult part of scripture. Even for, you know, we, we kind of say Jesus died for our sins and we, we take it kind of for granted, but it, it's, it's really uh, something, if you think about it, it's challenging to get your mind wrapped around that this sinless person who lived his life with so much consistency and integrity was treated so unjustly and doesn't object. And I imagine that the Ethiopian eunuch perhaps really had his questions arise at that point because he himself had had some quiet suffering injustice. And Philip meets him right in that hard point of his questions and then finally begins to speak. And it doesn't say what all Philip says at all. It just says that Philip 
started with that scripture where the man's questions arose and then proclaimed to him good news about Jesus. And I imagine in the midst of that, what he shared was how Jesus was good news for him. And it was pretty simple. And then he waits. They're driving down the road together. The Ethiopian eunuch tells the driver to stop the chariot. Hey, there's water over there. What's to prevent me from being baptized? Doesn't say Philip even answers. He just gets out of the chariot and they head down to the water. And he really very gently then walks with this person who was already seeking and brings him to a point of a joyful baptism. And then the last point is he just disappears. Says he goes off kind of like Elijah in that chariot being carried off into heaven as he hands on the power of the spirit to Elisha. And this Ethiopian eunuch we don't hear any more about. And Philip seems to just release him for his journey to continue and for the fruit of whatever work they've accomplished together to bear out in other places and other ways. He won't see it. He simply trusts the spirit that it'll be there. I found this kind of model really helpful in terms of thinking about witnessing. And I hope you do too. Maybe you can look around in your places where you are during the day and your friends and coworkers, people who have questions. Maybe oftentimes questions arise when people are suffering, don't understand what it's all about. We don't have to have answers. Maybe we can engage in conversation as invited. Maybe every now and then we can raise a, a question. But we don't have to be pros and we don't have to try to control all the outcomes. We can trust that this dynamic spirit that was unleashed is still at work. So I want to ask you, uh, do you promise to support the church through your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your witness? The right answer is, I will, by the way. 